on the line. Live on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Hope you're doing well on this Wednesday, September 13th, 2023. This is On The Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins with you for the next two hours right here on ESPN 106.7. What was a beautiful day outside turned into a a rainy mess in a matter of like an hour. I was out for lunch and it was a nice day. All of a sudden, it started getting dark. Thunder started rumbling and it started pouring down rain. So, not sure where uh, that came from. I didn't check the weather today, but it's raining. So um, if you're out and about, be careful. Looks like it may be clearing up a little bit here in the Auburn area. But uh, if you're out and about and it's raining, be careful um, and stay safe here in the rainy weather. But again, hope you're all doing well on this Wednesday. It's a busy show. Rivalry Wednesday is here as we'll talk with Jordan Hill of Dogs 247. Get you caught up to date on the Georgia Bulldogs as they get ready to take on South Carolina this weekend there in Athens. Then in hour number two, we'll talk to Austin Hannon of Bama Central get his thoughts on Alabama's first loss of the year uh, as Texas came to town and handled business there in Tuscaloosa as Alabama tries to rebound on the road at South Florida. Really interesting game there. So we'll talk to Austin Hannon of Bama Central, the Sports Illustrated site for Alabama, coming up in hour number two. Uh, got some word that Jack Hutton will be calling in at 2.15. He wants to talk a little Albert football for a few minutes, so we'll hear from him coming up very shortly. Um, outside of that, want to talk some of the uh, notes from practice yesterday. Start looking at this Auburn versus Sanford matchup uh, as we get closer and closer to Saturday night. Uh, also want to give you, if we have time, I want to give you my week two power rankings for the SEC. Gave you my week one power rankings coming out of week one. Want to give you my power rankings coming out of week two and heading into week three, which I guess would technically make it my week three power rankings. But We'll talk about that later on in the show as well. Outside of our guests, if you have something you want to talk about today, give me a call. Phone lines are open. Our wonderful show producer, Michaela, waiting on your phone call. We'll get you on the show. We'll talk it out, and uh, we'll have a great great time here on a Wednesday afternoon. 334-321-1390. That number again, 334-321-1390. Give me a call. Whatever's on your mind, you can be on the line, and we'll talk it out. Um Again, should be a great show today here inside the Auburn Plaza Bar and Lounge Studio. And got to show love to them. We're appreciative of them being our studio sponsor each and every day here during On the Line on ESPN 106.7. The Plaza Bar and Lounge is your Tiger pregame destination for all fans on Saturdays during the fall. Home of the original Warburger, the Plaza Bar offers an easy and exciting menu to go along with fantastic drink specials. Enjoy the kid and dog-friendly Plaza Patio while keeping up with all the other football action leading up to kickoff in Jordan-Hare Stadium. This weekend's a perfect time to go do that since Auburn doesn't kick off until 6 p.m. this weekend. So be sure you go and check that out. Located at 800 Main Street in Midtown off of Opelika Road, the Plaza offers happy hour from 4 to 6 every weekday. And don't forget about that Sunday brunch before you leave town on Sunday. The Plaza Bar and Lounge, your pregame stop in Auburn. But again, phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. Um, yesterday, 
after the show uh, yesterday afternoon on Tuesdays, as we have been able to do so far through football season. Uh, Auburn has given us access to go over the media, that is, uh, to go over and get about 30, eh, 20, 30 minutes of a viewing window of practice. And I heard Bill and Dan talking about this yesterday on my way home from practice, and they were talking about just the how nice it is, right, to have this access to to go and see practice. Hey, we're talking to Freeze every Monday, right? Then on Tuesday, we're getting a viewing window of practice, and we got to do this through the fall, and we're getting, you know, through fall camp, and now we're getting to do it uh, here in the season. And there have been past coaches and regimes here that have not allowed media to do that. There are other schools in the conference and in the country that don't allow this. And so um, are we getting just the most groundbreaking news in the entire world when we go and watch these meeting, these viewing windows? No, not by any means. Um, but um, we are getting to go and see practice, and we're going to get injury updates. We go and see some some drills and see how certain guys are throwing the football and who's running and who's catching and who's doing all different things, right? And so uh, very, very thankful and grateful for Hugh Freeze and this entire coaching staff and all of the uh, SIDs that are involved over there at, at Auburn Athletics that are allowing us to go over and do this every single week. And the guys that we had our eyes on yesterday that we were looking for, um, because Hugh Freeze mentioned some names in his press conference on Monday, uh, we know uh, there are some just standard guys that have been dealing with some injuries, uh, guys like J- Jalen McLeod, Larry Nixon, um, Ke- Keontae Scott, um, Nehemiah Pritchett, uh, those types of guys, Donovan Kaufman, uh, and they said that they feel confident that he is going to be able to play uh, this weekend. As far as I know, and as far as I could see yesterday, everybody was out there. All right, everybody was out there. Um, Also in the receiver room, uh, we know that Nick Mardner has been dealing with injury problems. He was practicing yesterday, but here's the thing. And it was Christian Clemente from Auburn 247 who actually I was talking about this yesterday. And we were talking, and just because they're out there doesn't mean that they're going to play, right? Doesn't mean that they're 100% healthy because some of these guys have been practicing the last few weeks. They just haven't made it game healthy yet, game ready yet. So as far as I'm concerned, everybody was there and at least doing something. But it's just going to come down to games and actual game time to see who's going to play. But I think the really the big impact ones here are on the defensive side of the football. When you look at Jalen McLeod, who took over Elijah McAllister as the first name on the depth chart on the on the starting roster at that jack position, and then a guy like Larry Nixon the third and Donovan Kaufman, who those guys are playing linebacker in that star position, respectfully. But those are big names that Auburn has to be able to get back. And those are big names Auburn has to get healthy. Same thing with Nehemiah Pritchett. We've got to see him on the field. We've got to get him in the game. And I also talked with Keontae Scott this morning. Uh, That interview will play originally on the drive this afternoon at 530. I'll have that interview for you on Friday during the first hour. But to to give you a little insight on that, um, I asked him about it. I said, Keontae, can you tell us where you stand on this? Can you tell us how you're feeling? I uh, said he's been dealing with some things, but he's he's getting it worked out and said he's going to be ready to go. So there's a good update on him. Um, but there's some injuries on this defense, and Auburn's got to find a way to get them healthy. You have a good opportunity to do that this weekend with Sanford. 
Uh, you have a chance to get some young guys in the football game if all things go well, right? If all things go the way they should, um, you should be able to get A, some of these guys healthy this weekend, and B, get some new faces in there, some younger faces in there. And you look at the linebacker position right now, they're thin, man. They're thin because there's guys banged up. You've got McLeod that's banged up. You have Nixon that's banged up. We know that Eugene Asante is just coming off the best game of his Auburn career, and it would be nice to get guys in the football game like Cam Riley and Wesley Steiner and Steven Sings. Like Those guys at linebacker need some experience in case something goes wrong, in case these guys can't get healthy or they re-injure themselves or whatever, God forbid. But this is a perfect opportunity on Saturday for Auburn to get some young guys in the game. And I also think it's a chance to work on that offensive line rotation as well, because we saw some different guys play different positions on Saturday at Cal. And just to be completely honest with you and give you my 100% opinion, because I say this is the show that tells you like it is. I was not impressed with what I saw from two Miller at right tackle on Saturday. I wasn't, I wasn't impressed. He played the majority of the snaps there. But it was his first big game, and it was his first big game against a Power 5 team on the road. He has to get better. He's a young guy. Isaiah Miller is a younger player that has to improve, and I think he will. But I like what I see from Gunnar Britton on the right tackle spot. I do. I like that a lot. And I don't know what the game plan is going to be this Saturday. I don't know if it's going to be to keep too tall there and let him get some more experience and hopefully dominate against the Sanford team and then put him there against Texas A&M. I don't know what the game plan is going to be, but I think he has to get better on that offensive line. And maybe you're going to see some rotation this weekend. I don't know. We're going to find out, but I think a game against Sanford gives you that opportunity to do so. I also think you need to see some wide receivers make some plays this weekend. We heard Hugh Freeze talk about in his press conference on Monday, he talked about five and six. Got to get the ball. They are our best receivers. Jay Fair and Javarius Johnson. Not that they've been playing the best, right? Not that they give us the best chance to win. He flat out quoted and said, they are our best receivers. They have to get the football. And pair that with what he said about having to give Peyton Thorne more deep shots and having to throw the ball down the field more. Yeah, you absolutely have to do that. Because you're not going to struggle to score this weekend against Sanford. I sure hope not. But coming up in SEC play with Texas A&M, who, yeah, I know they gave up a lot of points, but it's still a talented football team, against Georgia in two weeks, LSU, Ole Miss, that's a brutal stretch for Auburn. And you have to find a way to score the football, and you can't run it 45 times and expect to score a lot of points. And you look, let's just be honest, too. You cannot expect this defense to play like they did on Saturday every single game. In four quarters against SEC teams, SEC talent, SEC coaches, SEC environments, you can't expect that. They very well might, and if they do, Auburn's got a great chance to win some games this year. But the offense has to back them up. The offense has to help them out, which means you have to have better quarterback play. You have to have better wide receiver play. And I think that there's so much that goes into that. 
And let me go ahead and say on the forefront, before we get into Thursday, Friday, and Saturday talking about this game, take what you see on Saturday, this coming Saturday, with a grain of salt because it's Samford. And nothing against that program, nothing against their coaches or their players, but Auburn, it's a game. It's one of the it's one of those non-conference games that Auburn is supposed to win and win by a lot. And so you Auburn can get better this weekend. There's no doubt about that. Auburn can absolutely get better this weekend. But where they're going to have to really get better and be better is against Texas A&M next week and the Georgia game to follow. 334-321-1390 is the number to get you through to us. We'll take a break. Jack Cudden's supposed to be calling in. We'll talk to him, get his thoughts on his trip from California, get his thoughts on Auburn football moving forward. As Sanford looms this weekend in the first night game of 2023 at Jordan-Hare Stadium. So uh, we'll get to the phone lines. Jack Cudden calling in when we come back here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. You are on the line. On ESPN 106.7, online at ESPNAU.com, or on the ESPN 106.7 app. All right, let's get to the phone lines here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. And good friend of mine, Jack Hudden, calling in to talk a little Auburn football. How are you, Jack? Did you make it back okay from Cal? What's up, brother man? I am back. I am tan, and I'm ready to talk some Auburn football. <laughs> well, first of all, uh, for the people that I've been talking to on the show that made the trip, I want to ask you the same thing. How was your trip, man? I know you went out there with your dad. Uh, Uncle T and I talked to you on Saturday when you guys were out there during the game day on Wings 94-3 show. Um, you seemed like you guys were having a good time, and it always helps when you can come back with a victory. Hey, that always does help. Um, you know, I think the, the the thing that you first notice when you get out to the San Francisco area, um, you know, there's you can you can hear all the talk about some people, you know, going around and they see the the city itself, and just to kind of look at the the, the natural part of California, um, you know, I mean the just the hills and the trees and, and everything out there, it's 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 pretty breathtaking to come out of the airport and to see that. Um, you know, the, the first day we, we got there Thursday night and, um, we, uh, went to our hotel, which was across the bay. Um, but then we actually started to, uh, the, the second day we actually took a tour kind of around just the, we did the tourist thing with San Francisco, uh, got to see the Golden Gate Bridge. That was really neat. Cool. Um, you know, got to do the, the whole, uh, went out to Alcatraz Island. Oh, uh, how was, was that? Really cool. I bet that was, I oh, bet was that awesome. was awesome. It was it was really fun. Um, it's a it's a cool trip. Would would definitely recommend it to to anybody looking to go out there. But uh, obviously the the game was the main reason we went out there. And um, boy, I tell you, there were it was it it got off it got off to a little rocky start. Uh, we certainly thought that we were you know we we actually went out to the, the championship game back in 2013. So we quickly thought we were 0 for two in California. Um, but I tell you what, it looked like this Auburn defense uh, just starting to find some identity to this team. Yeah, well, they uh, they, and we may have just lost Jacks. <laughs> well, it sounds like we just lost Jack. Larry, as he's coming back in, must have accidentally hung up on us. So uh, Michaela will get him back on the phone. But um, yeah, the the defense for Auburn, there's there's obviously no doubt that um, the defense was the reason that Auburn won the game on Saturday versus Cal. Yes, the offense figured it out there at the end, uh, but uh, the defense is the reason. Jack, do we have you again? What happened? Yeah, I'm not sure, bud. Uh, sounded like I went through something that was a little off, but anyways, just to, content of, to kind of keep going on that point, Yeah, um, 
boy, I thought the Auburn defense stepped up. You know, obviously the big story is Eugene Asante. Um, I actually thought that looking at his play the first few weeks, you know, I know he's in concussion protocol now, but boy, Donovan Kaufman looks to be in a rhythm in this defense. Um, you know, he's been playing that safety position the last few years, and he's kind of moved down to more of a nickel now, and I think he's where he, that's where he's most comfortable. Yeah, and, you know, trying to, to figure out, we got an update today um, on Kaufman uh, that he should be ready to go, um, that he, you know, he's been dealing with some injuries, him and, and a lot of people, uh, Albert said they're, quote, optimistic uh, for Kaufman after his concussion protocol. So um, hopefully he's ready to go. But, yeah, between him and Eugene Asante, man, they just absolutely played lights out. Uh, we saw that Asante got the co-defensive player of the week, and um, it's it just the defense just stepped up in such a big way on Saturday that without them again you don't win that football game and and like I said before you can't expect that defense to play like that every single night so uh, we'll see uh, we'll see how that goes I think we're uh, we're losing Jack I don't know if he's going through a a bad spot or whatever see if we can get him back on the phone and um, I'm not sure what's going on hopefully it's not on our end but Jack I don't know are you going through a tunnel or something over there what are you doing Man, I'm in the same place that I was uh, when I started, so I don't know, man. The, <laughs> well, I hope the, it's not on our end. The the Cal fans of the world, I guess, are trying to prevent me from talking about this thing. That's what it sounds um, like. But Yeah, but, uh, just you know, in summation, really, man, um, I thought the defense stepped up big time. Uh, you know, definitely needed to when they had it. Um, I thought Donovan Kaufman played his rear end off. Um, I was impressed with uh, the, the Auburn secondary. Not as impressed with Auburn up front on the defensive line. Um, you know, the, the nose tackle spot is something I think Auburn's going to have to figure out. Um, I, I thought Jason Jones looked like, and, you know, this may just be kind of from my perspective of, of way up in the crowd, but it, I, I felt like Jason Jones, I felt like Justin Rogers, both kind of had an off night. Um, both of them, it felt like maybe took a couple plays off. Um, and I, I felt like that kind of exposed the Auburn, uh, Auburn defense up the middle a few times when Cal was able to, when Cal was able to run the football a couple times, um, you know, I, I think that Auburn limited that with the play of their linebackers with with Asante and Nixon in the backfield. So um, definitely felt good about defensive end. I think on the offensive end, you look at what Peyton Thorne did, um, and I tell you, the the story for a few days now has been, oh, Auburn's got to find a quarterback. Well, go back and look at the numbers from this game, and, and I know you have. You know, the fumble to start out the game, and then you have the interception, so there's a couple of quick turnovers. But um, if, you, if you're if you looking at just Peyton Thorne by the numbers, he's 64% completion. He was 9 of 14. He had 94 yards, which, you know, that's, that's nothing to write home about. But you get two touchdowns, and you do have the pick. And the pick was not necessarily one that was a bad decision. I thought it was the right decision. You know, Hooks is open in the middle of the field. The throw just sails on him some. So I, I'm not totally ready to write off the fact that Auburn's got no quarterback yet. Um, you know, I do think we need to see a, a change in how the quarterback system is used. Definitely don't want it to be a, a two-quarterback system moving forward, and I think that, that the coaches are aware of that. Um, but I'm, I'm not ready to write off Peyton Thorne as, as a guy that can, can't handle the Auburn offense quite yet. 
No, I, th- I think for the, the quarterback situation, something that everybody's been talking about, um, Peyton Thorne has to be more comfortable, has to be more confident, and just to be sure. to be honest, he's just got to be better, and that's what Hugh Freeze has said too. And I think Robbie has to get his chances and get his touches, but in more ways than one. Um, he can't just come in and hand the ball off and then jog it back off to the sidelines and bring Peyton Thorne back in. I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of that anymore moving forward. I sure hope not. And... Um, I think, like you saw Auburn use Robbie in game one, is how you need to use him moving forward. But he has to throw the football to prove to the defense that he can actually do that and that become a threat. But at the same time, Jack, Auburn has to throw the football in general. They had 17 total passes on Saturday. You cannot expect to win football games and be a balanced offense when you only throw the ball 17 times. No, you're right. You've got to be able to throw it um, as well as run it. I do think that the game plan for Auburn going into this one was we're going to run heavy. Um, and so when you get in the middle of the game and, and you're trying to establish what your game plan was going to be and it's just not working, uh, you do have to pivot some. And I think that's what we saw in the first half, uh, excuse me, the second half, after Auburn kind of figured out, okay, we're not going to be able to just line up and run this. They had to pass a few times in that second half. You saw the offense open up some. Um Auburn really didn't get a whole lot of a chance to to actually run the football there. If you'll recall, when Auburn did start to to run pretty efficiently, well, you give up a fumble. That's when Damari Austin takes it down to the thirty five yard line and puts mm-hmm. it on the ground. You had another fumble where you're where you're hoping to put the game away there late, and Jarquez Hunter puts it on the turf. And so, um, I thought that the Auburn offense, in you know, looking at that last drive where you have to you had to run three plays to get a first down. Auburn offensive line is able to open up the holes when Cal knows the run is coming. So, for the most part, I actually thought that the Auburn offense ran the ball fairly well. Just some untimely things happening that kind of stifled that momentum. I have to wonder if that gets uh, if that gets fixed with some more ball security. Yeah, I think turnovers and penalties are a massive part of this. Freeze talked about it on Monday in his press conference. Uh, Jack, as we look forward to this weekend, Auburn taking on Sanford there in Jordan-Hare Stadium, 6 o'clock kick uh, over uh, on that side of town. Um, what are you, we got about a minute or so, what are you looking forward to this weekend? What does Auburn need to do? Not that the, uh, hopefully the, the victory is not in question here, uh, but what can Auburn do to get better this weekend before making another tough road trip to A&M next Saturday? Well, I think it's just what I was just mentioning there. I mean, I think the focus moving forward is this Auburn offense cannot turn the ball over. Um, that's the only way. I mean, if your defense is going to play as well as it did on Saturday, uh, but the offense is going to turn it over, you're giving your. I mean, I mean, you're setting yourself up for a massive disappointment with being in a lot of these games late and not being able to get the job done because either you don't have the ball or you've given it over too many times. You know, with these new clock rules, you're not getting nearly as many offensive snaps as you were before him. I mean, Auburn didn't even Auburn barely got the ball in the third quarter on Saturday against California. I believe they they scored on their oh, what that I believe that was their second drive of the second half that they scored the the touchdown on, and that was in the fourth quarter. That was that was fairly midway through the fourth quarter. So these these rules are are causing some shakeups in college football. You have got to value the ball. you got to value possessions when you get it because there's not as many of them. You're right about that, and that's a great point about the rule where offenses just aren't getting the ball as much, and turning it over, it really just costs you even more now in the new name and new era 
of college football. Jack, good to hear from you, buddy. I'll uh, I'll see you sometime this week, and you and Uncle T will be going live on Saturday. Sounds great. I'll get out of this tunnel, and then uh, I'll see you then. <laughs> Sounds good. That's Jack Cudden, good friend of mine, uh, who calls in uh, quite often, joins us here on ESPN 106.7. Him and Uncle T-Bone go live on Saturdays for game day on Wings 94.3. That'll be 2 o'clock on Saturday over at 94.3 on your radio dial. Don't go anywhere. Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 joins us here on Rivalry Wednesday on On the Line on ESPN 106.7. On the line with Jacob Goins on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 minutes into hour number one here on a rivalry Wednesday during on the line on ESPN 1067. I'm Jacob Goins with you on ESPN 1067. And first up on rivalry Wednesday, as always, it's Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 covering the Georgia Bulldogs each and every season. Jordan, how are things over in Athens right now, man? Uh, things are going well, Jacob, and it's nice, uh, you know, as exciting as UT uh, Martin and Ball State were to open the season. I, th- I think a lot of Georgia fans are excited to get SEC play underway this weekend, uh, have a big home game against South Carolina, and see what Georgia's able to do. Well, I'm sure you are excited to cover what should be a more competitive football game this weekend for Georgia as they host South Carolina. And of course, Jordan covers it, or he joins us every single week here on uh, on the show, uh, talking all things Georgia Bulldogs. I know um, Auburn fans, you're curious about what's happening in Athens, and same thing I can tell you all the time, Jordan. Georgia fans care about what's happening here as well. But let's get into this thing a little bit because Georgia, they are two and zero, still number one team in the country, but hasn't really been a tough start for. For the dogs, what have you seen through these first couple of weeks where Georgia maybe hasn't started out super fast, but they obviously have taken care of business so far? Yeah, I think when you consider the two games and you consider so many new starters, I think on the whole it's been pretty successful. Yeah, I thought, especially start uh, start one to start two for Carson Beck, I thought he made some significant improvements, thought he settled in a little bit. Like you mentioned, Jacob, a couple of slow starts, I thought, uh, you know, first quarter last week against Ball State, they don't score any points, and then they scored 31 points in the second quarter alone. So that sort of made up for that. Um, I thought on the whole, Georgia's done a good job. I think the defense looks the part once again. To me, the biggest question going into the South Carolina game is the run game. Not only the question at the running backs, which they've uh, not had Dejan Edwards play yet, which I think he will be available for the South Carolina game. Um, but uh, haven't had a whole lot of running room. I think the run blocking's been a little bit uh, disappointing through two games. Uh, they've even played Dylan Bell, who's a wide receiver. He got uh, three carries against Ball State and actually scored on a 21-yard touchdown. So I kind of think that's the biggest area of concern for Georgia right now is just this run game and seeing if they can establish it going into SEC play. And I'd say the only other question right now uh, is with a secondary that I think is very, very talented, uh, Javon Bullard got hurt in that Ball State game, got an ankle sprain. Not sure if he's going to play against South Carolina. The question is sort of who's going to step up if Bullard cannot play in the SEC Open. You you talked about all, all preseason long coming into this 2023 season, Jordan, that Georgia was having 
injury problems in that running back room, and you just talked about it there. I mean, is this how big of a concern is this for Georgia if it continues as SEC play gets kicked off this weekend for the Bulldogs taking on teams like South Carolina, Tennessee, Florida, and beyond? I mean, how big of a story could this be if they just can't get fully healthy in that running back room? I think it's one of those situations where we can probably say a lot more about that after this South Carolina game. I mentioned Dejan Edwards. He was sort of slowed down during fall camp because of an MCL. And Kirby said this week that he could have played against UT Martin and he could have played against Ball State. So if he goes out there and runs really well, you know, it's sort of a moot point as far as worrying about the running game going forward. And then another guy, too, Andrew Paul, who's a redshirt freshman, who got a lot of buzz in fall camp, his first full fall camp uh, after getting hurt during his ACL last year. Uh, He uh, looked really good, but he has hardly played at all. Uh, He got on the field against Ball State, but I don't believe he got a carry. So I'm kind of giving the running back room an incomplete right now just because what we've seen hasn't been overly promising, uh, you know, uh, but it's not really been even full go when you consider the guys that I do think they will have for the long haul. Uh, So I think we'll learn a lot this weekend against South Carolina, and especially against the South Carolina team that did not stop the run very well in that North Carolina game. They they were able to move on them pretty uh, easily. So, yeah, it's definitely a point of uh, really paying attention to this weekend and seeing what Georgia's able to do with the ground game against South Carolina. And, Jordan, of course, got to get your opinion on the performance of the starting quarterback there for the Georgia Bulldogs, Carson Beck. It was a it was a debate sort of going into the season, uh, but Carson Beck uh, now through two games is 44 of 61, got 577 yards, a few touchdowns. He's got a pick as well. Your breakdown and just your, your grade so far for Carson Beck as he gets ready for his first big game for Georgia. I would say it was probably about a B or a B plus. I think so far he's done well. I thought he made strides from the first start to the second start. Uh, The biggest thing to me was just seeing if he settled in a little bit more. You could kind of see the nerves in that first start, which was definitely understandable, especially when you consider it had been three or four years since he had started, and that's going back to his high school days. Uh, You know, I thought that what really stands out to me through two games He's done a very good job of distributing the ball to several different receivers. It's not really been like he's leaned on one guy. Uh, what was really interesting last week, Brock Bowers only had one catch, and that was definitely not what we were expecting. But I think that kind of goes to the point of that he, he's going to be able to distribute the ball well, give it to different guys. Um, he's done a really good job of taking care of the football. You mentioned the one interception. Um, it was a deep shot that the receiver wound up bobbling, kind of tipped it up to the DB who intercepted it. So. He's done a very good job making decisions. Uh, I go back to that game last week, their very first drive. He looked pretty good until the drive stalled out, and uh, the freshman kicker missed about a 28-yard field goal, so they kind of missed out on scoring early. But uh, Carson's done a good job. I'll be interested to see if they let him kind of take a few deep shots in the South Carolina game. Seems like once he gets one or two of those under his belt, uh, he really settles in. Uh, So I'll be intrigued to see if they try to let him air it out a little bit and see what he's able to do with it. He writes for Dogs247.com. Jordan Hill, who joins us every Wednesday here during On the Line on ESPN 106.7. Looking at this South Carolina team, uh, and really looking at this game, Jordan, at the beginning of the year, this was one of the, look, it's one of the few games that Georgia has on their schedule that's going to be tough. Um, It was a game that, you know, it's an early SEC matchup, a big SEC matchup early on in the season. But with that early loss for South Carolina, at North Car- or versus North Carolina, and then maybe not the most impressive win last week against Furman, the score would say otherwise. But 
this game just doesn't seem like it's got as much oomph as it did a few weeks ago before the season started. Am I wrong in saying that? No, I think you got it. And I think South Carolina was one of those teams that a lot of people went to as sort of their dark horse in the East and kind of in the SEC overall. And I, I had my questions because they had issues on the offensive line in the spring, had one of their starters get hurt in the spring game. And that's kind of uh, come to pass. I mean, they gave up nine sacks in that loss to North Carolina. I think Spencer Rattler deserves a ton of credit because he got hit all over the place for four quarters in that game. And he played really well. You know, I thought he put South Carolina in a position to at least keep it close and, and at least prevent North Carolina from pulling away. And then he followed up in week two. I think he was like 25 or 27 through the air. He's done really well. But I think that's a big piece of the problem for South Carolina. Their offensive line was already suspect before that injury. They had their right tackle get hurt in that North Carolina game. And I think that's just really hurt any forward momentum early in the season. And they can still turn it around. You know, I still think they're going to be a bold team and, and be able to beat some teams here and there. Um, but they've got to clean up the offensive line play. Defensive line really struggled to stop North Carolina's run. And uh, it, it definitely leaves a lot of questions. And it definitely doesn't help their situation where, you know, okay, first SEC game of the year, we got to go to the two-time defending champs mm-hmm. and play in their place. Uh, I don't anticipate it's going to go very well for them. And when you look at the spread, I think Vegas would say the same thing, Jordan. Georgia favored by 27 and a half, almost a four touchdown favorite against South Carolina. Is this a is this just a combination of Georgia being undefeated 2 and 0, number 1 team in the country, South Carolina with all the issues that you just talked about? Is it just a combination of that or or what? I mean, that seems like a lot of points for an SEC opener. Definitely. I mean, I think that's a big piece of the puzzle and I don't think that you can ignore that since Shane Beamer has taken over, Georgia has pretty much, uh, you know, called their own shots and pretty much named the score. I think it might have been 48 to three last year's game, and the year before that wasn't much better. And if that was the game when afterwards Shane Beamer kind of went off on, you know, how many four? Look at all the four stars and five stars they got over there. You know, he was pretty fired up after they got <laughs> beat. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's just a product of where these two programs are. And you know, looking at this game and probably before the season. I had talked about, you know, if it had been flipped where this game was in Columbia, maybe you circle that as, hey, this is a big test for Carson Beck, first road start. Hey, maybe South Carolina can sneak one out. Uh, But it's just uh, not really the case with the way this is set up. And South Carolina's got a chance to try to make this interesting. I think Spencer Rattler can make some plays. And their secondary did a pretty good job against North Carolina on the whole, had a couple of second-half interceptions that sort of kept them in that game. But, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of points for, you know, nearly a four-touchdown favorite. Uh, You know, having Georgia is nearly a four-touchdown favorite. Uh, But I can see why the numbers are the way they are. And if I've learned anything, Jacob, it's uh, it's usually don't doubt Vegas because they know what they're doing when they set these lines. Yeah, I always say the buildings are pretty nice out there in Las Vegas. They kind of know what they're doing when they set some of these lines. Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 joining us here on ESPN 1067. What do the Bulldogs have to do this weekend to A, beat South Carolina, and B, get better as a football team with UAB next week and then a huge matchup here on the Plains in just a couple of weeks? I think the biggest thing is ball control and just being able to hold on to the football. That That is where I see if you know we look at this after the fact and say, okay, this was a close game. Why was it? I would have to imagine Georgia lost a turnover battle. And they've done a very good job of holding on to the football. Like I had mentioned, Carson Beck's only thrown one interception through two games. Got to hold on to the football. I think they've got to establish the run and figure out 
who's going to be that lead back? And Kendall Milton's got a lot of carries, and he's not been 100%, but it sounds like he's working to get closer to that. Roger Robinson's a true freshman that's kind of shouldered the load alongside Kendall, see how much he gets involved in, and see if they can get Dejan Edwards started because he did a great job as sort of that second back last year, especially when Kendall Milton got banged up. Um, I think if they do that, if they continue to get different guys involved in the passing game, because it still looks uncertain if Ladd McConkey's going to be back for this one either. I think they've done a very good job of getting so many different receivers involved. You don't expect to see quite as much of that when you are playing a conference game compared to these first two games for Georgia. Um, but I think if they do that, if they establish some of these receivers and continue to build that rapport between Carson Beck and those guys, I think it's going to be successful, and I think Georgia's going to move on uh, to 3-0 and uh, on the season and 1-0 and in SEC play. What has Kirby Smart been saying about this team? I believe you met, you guys got to meet with him yesterday uh, after practice for his weekly press conference. So what has, what has he been saying? Because we know coaches are going to be harder on their team than anybody. So uh, curious on what Kirby Smart's been saying through two weeks for Georgia. It was pretty interesting to talk to him Tuesday night after uh, their practice. He, he did not seem pleased with the Monday practice, but said they had kind of amped it up uh, the day after that, trying to get ready for this game. I think on the whole, he said all the right things. I think he understands that there's still some growth going on with this team. You know, they've still got a pretty healthy rotation at cornerback opposite Kamari Laster and trying to get different guys involved there and letting them play. Um, you know, I think he's seeing growth. I think he's understood um, that some of the places is kind of hard to get a good feel for how they played. You know, I asked him specifically about defensive line because they really. Uh, haven't done anything too special through two weeks. And he said, you know, it's kind of hard to grade them with the fact that uh, the opposing offensive lines are a whole lot smaller. And especially that Ball State game, there's a lot of cut blocking. They were trying to get the ball out quick. Didn't really let some of those defensive ends get after the quarterback like you might see in conference play. So I think on the whole, he's sort of uh, evaluating this team. It's, it's kind of been waiting to see how they play in games like this one on Saturday. I think on the whole, he's been pretty pleased with how they've been preparing. Uh, but I think he wants to see how these guys handle it uh, when they've got a competition that's a little bit closer to their level, which we'll get to see on Saturday. Jordan, one more question before I let you get out of here. going to switch gears on you for basketball for just a second. I know it may be uh, frowned upon to talk about college basketball in the month of September, but we do have the, the Georgia basketball schedule. Uh, we know what their uh, their opponents are going to look like, the trips they're going to make, uh, non-conference games. You've got Oregon, uh, Miami, uh, Florida State in the ACC-SEC Challenge, um, and then you open up conference play at Missouri. Tough games against Arkansas, Tennessee. you got to play at Rupp Arena. Uh, you have games against Alabama. So overall, what uh, what's your, your breakdown and your assessment of this Georgia basketball schedule, which does include two games against Auburn? You know, Mike White had talked about in the offseason, this was sort of more on the non-conference side, that they wanted to sort of up the difficulty, play a more difficult schedule in his second year. Well, he definitely got what he wanted because that's definitely the case. They play four ACC teams in non-conference play. I got a trip to the Bahamas, really interested in their season opener. They're going to play Oregon and Las Vegas, and uh, that's going to be very interesting because they're going to play Cario Oquendo, who was at Georgia for a couple years. He's with the Ducks now. Um, I think my biggest thing with trying to figure out where this team's going to be, we're going to learn a lot. When they get an SEC play, they open at Missouri, which I think is a team about comparable with with what I think Georgia can be. I, I see Georgia – sort of being in the mix of like 8 to 10 in the SEC, which kind of puts you in the mix to make the NCAA tournament. 
Um, but seeing that and also how they close out SEC play, I got some tough games down the end. I believe Texas A&M is among them. Um, I know they play LSU pretty late, and then they play at Auburn uh, in the uh, regular season finale, which is going to be very, very interesting. So they're going to be tested. I do think this is a better team in year two under Mike White, and uh, I'm yeah, as much as I enjoy covering football, I think it's going to be fun when basketball season gets started, too, and uh, to see what this Bulldogs team can do. It's unfortunate that Georgia football is in Knoxville on November 18th, the day before that Georgia basketball, or the day after Georgia basketball is playing in the Bahamas. It sounds like you're just going to miss out on a trip to the Bahamas, man. Now, you know, maybe I could find a proxy to go up to Knoxville. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure I can find a nice intern who could sit in my place and let us know what's going on in that football game. You don't want to send an intern to the Bahamas and you go to Knoxville? You know, I mean, I, I'm giving, Jacob, but I'm not quite that much. <laughs> I, I got to admit. That's right. Hey, look, sometimes you got to take one for the team, take a trip to the Bahamas, cover the basketball team, and just, you know, be a team player like we know you are. But, um, no, looking forward to, to basketball season, but definitely don't want to wish away football season just yet. Georgia taking on South Carolina there in Sanford Stadium this weekend, and Jordan Hill will be there covering them uh, for Dogs247 and Dogs247.com. He joins us every Wednesday for Rivalry Wednesday here during On the Line. Jordan, plug all your stuff, man. Let everybody know where they can find you, and as always i'm super appreciative of your time definitely dogs 247.com on twitter at jordan davis hill on twitter at dogs 247 and like i said you know very excited to get sec play underway think we'll learn a lot about this team and uh ready for the ride and ready to see how this thing plays out well enjoy the weekend man and we will talk to you next wednesday recapping south carolina and previewing uab sounds like a plan jacob that is Jordan Hill of Dogs 247. Go check him out. Uh, I say this every time. If you are subscribed to the Auburn 24-7 site, you get the access to all of Jordan's coverage and everything at Dogs 247. It's all the same subscription. So um, if you're interested in that, go check it out. Jordan does a fantastic job. Uh, covers Georgia better than anybody. He joins me every Wednesday as part of Rivalry Wednesday here during On the Line on the Auburn Opelika Sports Leader ESPN 1067. We'll take our final break, come back, wrap up our number one then as we get into hour number two i got to give you my sec power rankings heading into week three of college football and then austin hannon of bama central the sports illustrated site for alabama joins us in hour number two phone lines are open come on in and join me here on the wednesday edition of on the line you are on the line on espn 1067 Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. All right, wrapping up our number one here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. We thank Jordan Hill for his time every single week. Isn't he great? He's just he's so good um, at, at giving information, breaking it down, giving his thoughts as well, but also his professional analysis of the Georgia Bulldogs as they get ready for really what is their first game of the year uh, against South Carolina. And again, I know they played Ball State last week, but I've, I've said this a few times, and Jordan brought it up last week. That was supposed to be Oklahoma. They were supposed to play Oklahoma last week, and the SEC. Uh, they they canceled that because of Oklahoma coming to to the SEC and they'll play plenty of times. So uh, Georgia getting ready to play South Carolina. I'm going to be honest. I did not realize that the spread was almost four touchdowns before that conversation. I, I had no idea. I hadn't. I just hadn't looked at the game in the spread yet of the Georgia South Carolina game. Twenty seven and a half points. Georgia almost laying four touchdowns against South Carolina. That's insane of an SEC opener 
I'm not saying it can't happen, but that's a massive line for two teams that through two weeks of football don't look all that impressive to me. We know Georgia's more talented. We know Georgia's better coached. We know Georgia's just the better football team, but would you risk Georgia taking four touchdowns? What do you think? I'm curious. I really am curious. Would you, if somebody handed you a $100 bill and said you have to place it on either South Carolina plus 27 and a half or Georgia minus 27 and a half, which way are you going? I'm curious um, on, on what you would do there. 334-321-1390. Can Georgia win this thing by four touchdowns? Sure. Absolutely. And they're at home. It's a 2.30 game on CBS. Enjoy it because this is the last season we're going to be seeing ESP or uh, seeing SEC games on CBS like this. But uh, I don't know, man. That's just a lot of points. South Carolina's good. They're not great. And that Georgia defense is going to have a field day on Spencer Rattler. My initial thought is to take South Carolina minus 27 and a half. But like Jordan said, Vegas knows what they're doing. And if Georgia plays high-level football and Carson Beck has a great day, Georgia could win this thing by a lot more than 28. Hour number one is in the book. Stay tuned. Hour number two coming up. We'll give you my SEC power rankings heading into week three of college football in the SEC. And then Rivalry Wednesday continues with Austin Hannon of Bama Central. We'll talk about that Alabama loss to Texas over the weekend. Don't go anywhere. Hour number two coming up. is an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins. You're on the line here on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Hope you're doing well as we get underway here in hour number two. This is the Wednesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins with you inside the Auburn Plaza Bar and Lounge Studio here on a Wednesday afternoon. If you missed any of hour number one, be sure to go and catch up with the podcast. You can find it one of two ways, ESPNAU.com, or just search On the Line wherever you get your podcast. It'll be posted commercial free right after the show today uh we talked about some of the notes from practice yesterday for Auburn football um some of the injury updates some of the just things that I noticed uh from the viewing window for the media yesterday afternoon uh so we talked about that talked about what has to be done this weekend for Auburn uh Jack Hudden called in to talk about that as well um what he saw on Saturday out in California 
and uh, what he wants to see Auburn do this weekend against Sanford to get themselves ready for the game against Texas A&M next weekend. Uh, It is Rivalry Wednesday, so we talked with Jordan Hill of Dogs 247, getting you caught up on the Georgia Bulldogs as they get ready to take on the South Carolina Gamecocks as four touchdown favorites. That's right, four touchdown favorite is Georgia this weekend at home against South Carolina. So we got Jordan Hill's thoughts on that, uh, his his impressions of Carson Beck so far, update on that banged-up running back room and what the Bulldogs got to do to get a win this weekend. So that was in hour number one. If you missed any of it, again, you can go back and listen to the podcast later on today. Uh, here's what's coming up in the second hour, though. I'm going to give you my SEC power rankings heading into week three of the college football season. Then Austin Hannon of Bama Central, the Alabama Sports Illustrated site. He'll join us coming up in about 30 minutes at the bottom of the hour. Uh, Really interested to see what he has to say about the Alabama-Texas game and this game coming up this weekend as the Crimson Tide on the road at South Florida. So that's coming up at about 3.30. Make sure you're tuned in for that. Uh, But until then, phone lines are open. Would love to hear from you on what is now a beautiful Wednesday afternoon here in the Auburn Opelika area. 334-321-1390 is the number to put you through to me. Call in, be a part of the show, be on the line. What's on your mind on a Wednesday afternoon? Uh, As we start to get closer to Saturday, Auburn playing Sanford. Uh, Looking at the slate for the weekend, nothing super crazy. I'll be honest. It's It's probably the worst weekend yet for football uh, just across the board. And I hate to put it that way, but I mean, it just, there's not a whole lot of good games. There's potential for a few good ones. um, But I just don't think there's going to be anything super, super crazy. But with that being said, I want to give you, uh, and I've been doing this every week so far, and I hope to do this every week throughout the football season. I want to give you my SEC power rankings heading into week three. And here's how I do my rankings. It's a little bit different. This is not my just top 14 teams ranking them 1 through 14 based off of how good I think they are and how good they would be going up against one another. That's not what this is. This is also not what I think would happen if these two teams played neutral side or if they went up and play or whatever. This is not just a pure ranking system. This is my power rankings, meaning this is how I feel about these teams right now and how I think these teams are feeling going into week three. That is confidence level. That's based off their performance, based off their record, injuries, all that sort of stuff. Um, All of that, the fan base's feelings, what I've seen and heard from them, all of that factors in to my personal SEC power rankings heading into week three. And so if you disagree with something, give me a call. Let's talk about it. I'd love to hear from you. 334-321-1390. Not a ton of change at the bottom, but the middle and the top is really, really interesting here. And this is not me doing this to try to stir anything up. This is what I truly believe based off of what I've seen through two weeks, what I've seen based off results, and what I've seen based off of records. And that's what I'm basing all of this off of. And to start, we'll start off from the bottom and work our way up. I've still got Florida at the bottom, okay? Based off of what happened to them in their week one game, I will say, okay, I will say that Florida looked better in week two. They did. It looked like they actually had a legitimate football team, and actually cared about wanting to be out there, and they looked better. Now, they were not playing any sort of real competition. They were playing McNeese, and they won 49-7. to 
But there are promising things from this game for Florida. Um, if you want, you can go watch the film. Uh, Graham Mertz played okay. He didn't do anything crazy. Had almost 200 yards and a touchdown. Um, but at least Florida won the game like they were supposed to. And uh, I hope they find a way to turn it around. But don't know if that's going to happen because you've got Tennessee coming to town. Who, by the way, has not looked all that impressive, but I still think they're a really good team. Um, but that is in the swamp, night game. You never know. But I do have Florida still at the bottom of my power rankings as we move up try not to harp on the lower ones too much so we can get into the middle and the top here in this next 20 minutes or so i vanderbilt at 13 um you know if you've listened to this show you know that i am um you know that i'm high on vanderbilt i like this team i like clark lee i think this is a good team i think they're a talented team and i think they're a bowl eligible team they had chances to be in the football game on Saturday against Wake Forest. They just couldn't get it done. A couple of mistakes, um, some turnovers, some missed opportunities there. And Vanderbilt um, came up short, and Wake Forest kind of ran away with it. So this is still a bowl-eligible team, I think, but I do have Vanderbilt. As of right now, they're at the bottom or near the bottom there at 13. Moving on up, I have Missouri. Um not much to say on Missouri. It's just Missouri. They're not overly impressive. There's nothing sexy there about this football team. Um, they're going to be in some games, but I just haven't seen a whole lot from them for, for me to get excited about. South Carolina. That's who I have right here at South Carolina, fourth from the bottom at 10. I think South Carolina, or I guess this would be 11. I have South Carolina here. Because the vibes, I just don't know how high they are right now in Columbia. Because you lose that game to North Carolina, a game that South Carolina felt confident in. America felt confident in South Carolina. I ended up going North Carolina last minute. And North Carolina just kind of took took that game and ran with it there at the end. And you heard Jordan Hill, if you were here in the first hour, talking about this team as they make a trip to Athens. Um, Spencer Rattler's a really good quarterback. But their offensive line is struggling. He got hit and sacked nine times against North Carolina. What do you think is going to happen this Saturday against Georgia? Like, it's going to be bad. And if South Carolina can't find a way to protect Spencer Rattler, give him some time to be the special player that he is, it's going to be a long year for them. And I think they're going to get beat really bad this weekend in Georgia. It's going to be a one and two start, and their schedule is not easy. It is a brutal schedule. For South Carolina, yes, I know they play in the SEC East, but their schedule doesn't get a whole lot easier. So you have to play at Georgia, home for a good Mississippi State team, and then on the road again at Tennessee. You have games against Florida, at Texas A&M. You still have to play Kentucky and Clemson at the end of the year. Like The vibes are not very high, and I'm not high on the South Carolina team right now. I was beginning of the year. They have potential, but I'm not high on them right now. I've got them there near the bottom. As we get to the top 10 of the SEC, my power rankings going into week three of college football, I have Texas A&M right here at 10, near the bottom. That was a game on Saturday. I told you last week, this was a game for A&M, for the Aggies, for Jimbo Fisher, that you could not lose. This was a must-win game for A&M. If you wanted to have any chance to be legit, in this conference, if you wanted to have any chance to be legit in college football, you had to win this game. 
You are a better team than, than Miami. You are more talented than Miami. I'm not going to say you're a better coach than Miami because I don't know how good of a coach Timbo Fisher is anymore. But you went in there to a okay Miami team. It wasn't a hostile environment. The stadium was barely half full. And you go in there and you shoot yourself in the foot and Connor Wegman makes some turnovers and you lose the game to a Miami team that had to have the win. A team that needed the win against A&M was trying to build their program on a win like this. Rebuild, I should say. Vibes are not high at Texas A&M because that's a game you just can't afford to lose. When you play in the SEC West and you're trying to get to Atlanta and legitimately make a college football playoff, you have to take care of your non-conference opponents. I don't care if it's New Mexico or if it's Miami or if it's Ohio State. You have to take care of your non-conference games if you're a team like Texas A&M because their schedule, they play tough teams. It lines up to not be horrible until the end of the year, but you still have games against Auburn, against Arkansas, against Alabama. They have four straight home games, by the way, as I pull up their schedule. UL Monroe, Auburn, Arkansas, and Bama. Four straight home games in the middle of the year. Good for them. But you're on the road at Tennessee, you're on the road at Ole Miss, and you end the year on the road at LSU if that team figures it out. A&M, it's do or die. It is do or die for Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M. Because if you somehow lose to Auburn, or lose to Arkansas, or lose to Alabama, or a combination of the three, find a way to lose to LSU, one of the Mississippi schools, it's going to be a long year. And I just don't know how much confidence the fan base has in Jimbo Fisher anymore. I don't know how much confidence they have in Bobby Petrino being the be-all, save-all for Texas A&M. And so I have them at 10 in my power rankings this week. I do. Sure, they're going to win this weekend. But what will the vibes be like this time next week when Auburn's coming to town? Because both teams are going to win this weekend. And if Auburn goes to A&M and wins that football game, watch out. Because A&M may just crash and burn. As we move forward through my SEC power rankings into week three, again, if you're just now tuning in, I base my rankings off of how I feel, what I've seen, how the fan bases are reacting, how the fan bases feel, the teams they've played, the teams that are coming up on their schedules. Um, And these handful of teams, this is where it really gets interesting. This is where it gets interesting. I have LSU at nine. And the reason I have LSU here, yes, they had a good bounce back last week after an embarrassing performance in week one. They turned it around against Grambling and put up 72 points. But you're on the road at Mississippi State this weekend. And a lot of people would say it's just Mississippi State. They're not that good. I think Mississippi State's better than people think. No, this team's not winning the SEC West. But Mississippi State is a talented football team. It's an 11 a.m. kick over in Starkville. Who knows what's going to happen? I tend to say that the road teams benefit from 11 a.m. kicks on the road, which LSU is the road team next week, or this week, excuse me. But this is a game. You want to talk about a game that LSU can't afford to lose? LSU cannot lose this weekend at Mississippi State. With Arkansas, Ole Miss, Auburn, Bama, Florida, and A&M still on the schedule, they can't lose this game. Absolutely not. LSU can't lose this. And you can't tell me 
that after what they saw in week one, that a 72-10 to 10 victory just saved the LSU fan base, that they're feeling 100% confident again. You can't tell me that. They have to see it against SEC talent, SEC competition. And LSU has a chance to do that. You have four winnable games in a row with State, Arkansas, Ole Miss, and Missouri. LSU can win all those games. But until they start doing that and until they prove they can play good football against good teams, I've got them lower on my list for that reason. As we move ahead, before we get to break, I'll give you one more. I put Kentucky next here as we have, let's see, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, 9. I have Kentucky at 8. So this will be the top half or bottom half. I have Kentucky at 8, and here's why. Kentucky has just kind of limped by. They've just kind of been there. They haven't done a whole lot. They've won. They're 2-0. and But they haven't really had to do much. And I don't know if Kentucky fans are overly excited for this season. I think it's been a slow start for them. And I don't think there's any lack of faith in what this Kentucky football team can be. But how much confidence can you have in a team that plays Ball State, Eastern Kentucky, and Akron their first three games of the year? I mean, you just don't learn a whole lot about your football team like that. Your first game of the SEC is next week on the road at Vanderbilt. Okay. You play Florida. Winnable game. But the rest of your schedule is brutal. At Georgia. Home for Tennessee. At Mississippi State. You do get Alabama at home. But then the end of the year, you're at South Carolina at Louisville. Nothing against Kentucky. I just haven't seen a whole lot from them. And Eastern Kentucky, you beat them 28-17. So, I don't really know what to think about this team, to be quite honest with you. And until I see something, I'm going to keep them in the middle of the pack. 3-3-4, I'll give you the top half of my SEC power rankings heading into week three. And then Austin Hannon of Bama Central joins us at the bottom of the hour at 3.30. What do you think? I'm going to give you the back half, or the top half anyway, of the SEC power rankings. Some of you probably aren't going to agree with it, and that's okay. That's why we do this. And we'll talk about it when we come back. You are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. All right, as we continue my week three college football power rankings for the SEC and how I feel about these teams heading in to week three of the season. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. 334-321-1390. Bottom half. Uh, I have from the bottom to the top, I have Florida, Vanderbilt, Missouri, South Carolina, Texas A&M, LSU, and Kentucky. And again, my power rankings are based off of how I feel about these teams right now, based off of what I've seen, injuries, uh, morale around the team, the program, the fan base, and what they have moving forward. Um, So that's the bottom half. As we get to number seven, I have Alabama. Put Alabama here because... Of what happened in in Tuscaloosa. You let Texas come in to the house that Saban rebuilt. The house that Saban has expanded on. And for the first time in his college coaching career, you let a team come to his place and beat him by double digits. And it's such a massive flip from what happened after week one. Because everybody in Alabama and Alabama fans wearing crimson and white 
Jalen Milrow's the real deal. This team's legit. This team's going to the playoff. They're back. Quarterback problems are fixed. Whatever, whatever. And then Texas comes and, and just beats Alabama. I mean, just beat them. And all of a sudden, the world's falling apart. They want to fire Saban. Milrow's not it. Put in somebody else, and, and the world is just falling apart. And I'm not saying that Alabama can't fix it. And I'm not saying that Alabama wouldn't be favored against most of these teams in the SEC if they were to play them right now. But when you look at what Alabama has coming up, they have a weird game this weekend on the road at South Florida. Not worried about that. But you have a game at home against Ole Miss. You're on the road at Mississippi State. You're on the road at Texas A&M. You obviously have the Tennessee crossover. You have LSU late in the year if they decide to figure it out. On the road at Kentucky and on the road at Auburn. And Alabama has a legitimate offense problem. Their offensive line is not good. Their offensive line is not good. And Jalen Milrow, while he is good, he cannot carry that team on his own. And yet, on the defensive side of the ball, where they were supposed to be a lot better, Texas challenged their DBs all night long. And we're going to talk to Austin Hannon about all this coming up in just a few minutes at BamaCentral.com. And I'm interested in what he has to say about these things. And he'll tell you how he feels. He'll tell you what's going on. And that's why I have him on this show. But as a true power ranking and a vibe around this team and this program and what they could do, I've got them at seven right now going into week three. Moving on up on six, I have Auburn. I put Auburn at six um, because you are 2-0. and A win is a win. I've been saying that. A win is a win. But my goodness, it was ugly. It was an ugly win. Auburn did not look good offensively. They have an offensive problem right now, too. But here's the difference. Auburn won. Auburn played a lesser opponent, but Auburn was on the road, and Auburn won. And while the vibes are still good, they're not as high as they were. And I think Auburn fans are just waiting patiently, (laughs) patiently with a question mark at the end of that, to see what this offense is going to do. The defense is legit. I told you that in the in the offseason. I told you that. But I think Auburn fans are waiting to see what they can do when they go on the road next week at Texas A&M, which is why I have them. They're still a top-half power-ranking team for me, but I have them sitting at number six. At five and four, I'll kind of group these together. I have Mississippi State and Arkansas. Mississippi State at five, Arkansas at four. And again, these are power rankings. Do I think that Mississippi State and Arkansas are better than Auburn and Alabama? No, I don't. But as of right now, the feeling and the vibes and the the mindset and the outlook on those two programs for Mississippi State and Arkansas, they're pretty decent right now because of what they've done early on. Mississippi State is 2-0 with a big win against Arizona on Saturday night a game that they tried to get thrown. They tried to throw it away, but they didn't. They held on. And Mississippi State has a huge opportunity this weekend with LSU coming to Starkville. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if Mississippi State, after everything that's happened to that football program, with Zach Garnett walking in the door, if they could take an 11 a.m. kickoff and handle LSU, a team that doesn't know who they are right now, That would be a massive win for Mississippi State. Something they've done in the past. And it's something I think they have the ability to do. LSU's favored by almost 10 points. 
But I think the vibes are high at Mississippi State. And even if you lose this game, as long as they're competitive, State's going to be in there in these power rankings every single week because I think they're better than people give them credit for. You look at Arkansas. People are like, oh, yeah, I haven't really been paying a whole lot of attention to them. Well, that's because they've played Western Carolina and Kent State. And they didn't look great last week, 28-6 to against Kent State, but I don't think it's a big deal. And you've got an interesting game against BYU on Saturday night in Fayetteville. I think Arkansas will handle business. I think Arkansas will be 3-0. and And you take a, a tough road trip to LSU. But again, what happens if LSU loses at Mississippi State? Then Arkansas can come in. It could really go off the rails quick for the Tigers. And Arkansas could take advantage. But here's the problem, and here's why they're probably going to drop pretty quickly for me. Arkansas, after this BYU game, you play at LSU. You play home against A&M. At Ole Miss, at Alabama, home for State, at Florida, home for Auburn. That's brutal. That's absolutely brutal. So, Arkansas, enjoy your time near the top for me in the SEC power rankings because it's not going to last very long. People aren't going to like this, but I have Ole Miss at three. As of right now, the feeling around that Ole Miss team, the fact that they beat Tulane last week, and yes, I know, Michael Pratt didn't play, but Ole Miss still found a way to dominate the end of that football game and win it 37-20. to They played Georgia Tech this week. They're going to win that game at home. Sorry, former intern Jenny. They're going to beat Georgia Tech this week, and they're going to be 3-0 and when they make a trip to Tuscaloosa, a place that doesn't seem so scary now. A location that Ole Miss is not scared to play in, and Texas has proved if you play well enough, you can win there. This has a chance to be a better season than people thought for Ole Miss. Not saying it's going to be, but they're feeling pretty good right now about themselves as they're going to try and go 3-0 and this weekend. I have Tennessee at 2, and I have Georgia at 1. And these two teams, it's because I think they're talented. And some of you may say, well, Tennessee hasn't looked all that impressive. You're right. But Tennessee has some serious talent. And Tennessee has a chance to have a really special season. And I think they will have a special season. And it gets started this weekend when they're going to go on the road and dominate a bad Florida team. They're going to dominate a bad Florida team. Then they have South Carolina, Texas A&M. They play two tough road games at Alabama and Kentucky. But if Tennessee can handle that, they're rolling before they play Georgia late in the year. And then Georgia, uh, until they play some legit competition, we don't know. Injuries are a problem in Athens, though, I'm telling you. Injuries are a problem on the offensive side for the Georgia Bulldogs. But the SEC is down this year. And they got some ground to make up if they want to claim themselves to be the best conference in college football. Those are my SEC power rankings. We'll talk about the Alabama Crimson Tide with Austin Hannon, who writes for Bama Central, the Sports Illustrated site, here on Rivalry Wednesday during On the Line on ESPN 1067. With Jacob Goins on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader.
We've got 30 more minutes here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line Rivalry Wednesday here on ESPN 106.7. I'm Jacob Goins with you in the studio, the Auburn Plaza Bar and Lounge studio, that is. And as always, on a Wednesday afternoon at 3.30, good buddy of mine, Austin Hannon of Bama Central, the Alabama Sports Illustrated site there in Tuscaloosa, joining us on the phone lines. Austin, uh, I, I respect your bravery, sir, to come on the Auburn radio station to talk a little Crimson Tide football. No problem, no problem. You know, I, I uh, as a journalist, you know, it's one of my jobs to be objective. And uh, while Alabama's won a lot of national championships, obviously Saturday night was one of the, probably the darker spots of the Saban era. Um, and uh, I'm here for it. So um, you let let it fly. Well, um, look, there's there's one thing about you, and it's one it, it's a reason that I bring you on and respect you so much because you do tell it like you see it, and it doesn't matter if it's good, bad, whatever. Um, you are always open about it. You are, I mean, very respectful with it, and I, I appreciate that from you. And so um, let's let's talk about it a little bit. This was a game on Saturday where Texas was coming to town. Everybody and their brother was in Tuscaloosa over the weekend for the biggest game of the weekend one of the biggest games of the year and texas came in and did something that no team has ever done to nick saban beat him by double digits on his home field as a college head coach austin i'm just going to open the floor man what happened yeah i i'm glad you brought up how many people are here and you know there's been for for alabama and for nick saban i mean over the years there's been so many uh, games that have had this kind of coverage and have been you know the spotlight of the weekend and this was no different. I mean, you had the college game day, you had SEC Network, you had national writers here, there, everywhere. Um, and it, it seems like in the past in games like that, the edge was always in Alabama's favor. And I'm sure you agree with that. It just felt like whenever it was a big game um, since 2007 and Alabama was a part of it, they were probably going to win. Uh, there's been some occasions where that wasn't the case. Obviously, LSU has come to Brian Denny Stadium twice uh, for both the game and the centuries and won both of them in 2011 and, of course, in 2019. Uh, but in the past, especially to lose at Bryant Denny Stadium, it, it's been uh, Johnny Manziel. I mean, it, it's usually some kind of performance from some team that's having a, a, a historic season, um, and it takes everything to beat Alabama. And it usually goes down to the wire, and it usually doesn't end like the game on Saturday did. Um, and what happened was Texas was a better football team for 60 minutes, and that, that's that's as simple as it gets. I mean, at, at halftime, obviously – it's just 13 to six. Um, and similar to last year's game, both offenses were kind of struggling to move the football. Um, and it was like, okay, Alabama's down by a touchdown. They're probably going to figure this thing out in the second half. And of course, in the third quarter, that's exactly what they do. They outscore Texas 10 to zero. Uh, they take the lead back on that big long ball from Jalen Miller to Jermaine Burton. And everybody in Brandon Stadium's like, okay, here we go again. It's just going to down the wire. Obviously, Alabama's not going to lose in the fourth quarter. That's what they, you know, harp on. That's what their program is built on. Um, a sustaining success throughout the entire game. They're going to you know, end up winning this thing by two touchdowns, 17 points by the end of it. And that's not what happened. The fourth quarter, it was a complete, complete switch. Um, and Texas looked like in that fourth quarter, one of the better teams in, in all of the country. Uh, Quinn Ewers couldn't miss throws. Uh, that, that Obviously, a lot of that had to do with, you know, I think, the, the mistakes on Alabama's defense. But not to take anything away from Texas. They played a great football game. Um, and they showed why, you know, now they're the number four team in the AP poll. I think it's well-deserved. Um, and, and what a great job by Steve Sarkeesian. I mean, obviously, everything he's been through uh, his, in his personal life and his coaching life, getting fired from USC after a really short tenure there. Um, you know, people didn't really know where his career was going to go. He comes to Alabama. He becomes an analyst. He, he sticks it out. 
Um, he gets back out into the NFL, has some success with Atlanta and Matt Ryan, of course, uh, the 28-3 season. He comes back into the college game after he leaves there um, and has a couple great seasons with Alabama as the offensive coordinator, including winning a national championship, including having a Heisman Trophy winner in Devontae Smith. And then he gets his opportunity at Texas. Um, some people didn't like the hire. Some people were like, here we go again. It's going to be another USC situation. Um, and, and what he's done there so far has been remarkable. I mean, he's come in. Obviously, the first year wasn't great, uh, but they took a big step last year, almost beat Alabama last year. Um, and I think that kind of stuck with them going into this game this year. And they came into Tuscaloosa prepared. They came in ready to go, and they came in ready to play a good football game. And I, I don't think Alabama was in the same situation. I don't think they were nearly as prepared as Longhorns were, which that's a big question mark. And that's not something you you really ever see from a Nick Saban team. Um, and I think that's what made, made this weekend such a you know stunning loss. Like, it wasn't that Texas is not good. It wasn't that Alabama did, lost to a team that they were way better than. You know, you heard it on College Game Day. Pete Thamel said it, too. Texas probably's got more NFL talent, NFL ready talent on their team right now. So it's not that, you know, Texas isn't a good team and they weren't expecting Texas to be a good team, but I was just surprised with the, uh, the, the, not, I'm going to, I'm going to make up a word here, the unpreparedness from a Nick Saban group. Um, and, you know, that goes with Jalen Milrow, that goes with the defense. And there was just a lot of holes in the team. And it's, it's the, the, the bright side here for Alabama is that it was week two and you can kind of use that excuse of, hey, you know, this isn't the final version of our team. Nick Saban said after the game, this is the midterm. This is not the final. Um, and we've seen Alabama teams in the past, you know, bounce back from early season losses and, you know, maybe run the table and make the playoff. But um, there's no way in HE double two picks that that's going to happen if they don't get a bunch of things figured out. And uh, I, in my opinion, I think that starts up front with Coach Saban. Yeah, it's just from a from an opposite side of the state perspective, from Auburn media Auburn fans to to hear uh, a to see what happened on Saturday but b to hear you put it into words of a Nick Saban coached team was not as prepared as the other side uh was uh, doesn't have the amount of talent as the other side and really was probably out coached from the other side I mean Austin this doesn't happen and so is this a situation? Is this a one-time deal where okay, Nick Saban got he got got, but this isn't going to happen again? Or is this something that you could personally see a trend in twenty twenty three and beyond? Yeah, I don't want to be the guy you know that that says it's the end of the dynasty, and um, you know, there's been several people before me in years past say that and end up getting turned into you know meme compilations because Alabama's won two or three more national championships, but. I, I don't want to go that far, but I, I, there's definitely something different, right? And, I, and it's been noticeable over the last couple of years. I mean, what, what Alabama team goes into Jordan-Hare Stadium two years ago, you know, with aspirations of playing for a national championship against an Auburn team that couldn't do anything right, was on their, you know, second, third quarterback, T.J. Finley. He was hurt the entire game, and they barely scraped that win out. We've talked about, you know, the Auburn curse and everything like that, and maybe that had something to do with it, but... That was a game that, in, in the years past, Elmo wins that game by you know, 30, 40 points. Um, they, they stumbled around in the national championship. Obviously, uh, the injuries to Jameson Williams and, and John Mechie didn't help. But uh, I think that night in Indianapolis, and in, you know, really that whole season, though, I mean, the, the Coach Orgeron's final little stand at LSU, and that team was bad, and Alabama barely was able to beat them uh, that season in 2021 in Tuscaloosa. Uh, and they, I think I thought it was a, kind of a miracle that they ended up making that national championship. And then last year, um, you've got the huge winning streak against Tennessee, uh, and you go there unprepared. You go there with anxiety, as Coach Saban said, against a team that you've beaten 15, 16 times in a row. I mean, that's just 
not what you expect from this Alabama program that's been so dominant over the years. Um, and then you go into, you know, Death Valley last year after the Tennessee loss and all the players saying that, you know, they think they got things fixed and they're going to be fine. And, you know, Bryce Young's going to get this team back to the playoffs and they go to LSU and they lose another one. And so then it's like, wow, I mean, what's going on here? Obviously, they only lost by one score both games, but those are games in the past that Alabama doesn't lose, especially with the number one draft pick at quarterback. So um, I, I think there's a lot of things that, you know, need to be fixed. Um, I think this program's not where it was, and I, I don't know what exactly the reason is for it. I, I put out a big Twitter thread um, late Saturday night kind of on my opinion because I've grown up watching the program and I've seen where it's gone from you know, 2008, 2009 to now, and something's different. And it, obviously the, the coaching changes over the years haven't helped. Um, you know, Obviously Kirby Smart was here to start, and then you had you know, a lot of people think Scott Cochran, you know, the, the strength and conditioning coach, him leaving a few years ago had a big impact because that's kind of where Alabama's getting beat now. Is mm-hmm. they, they can't seem to do the things that they did so well in the past, which is physicality, toughness, effort for full, for a full 60 minutes. And that's not at all what happened on, on Saturday, and I think that's not at all what's been happening uh, in the course of their losses over the last couple of years. Austin Hannon of Bama Central joining us on a Rivalry Wednesday edition of On the Line on ESPN 106.7. I'm curious on your breakdown of of the Alabama-Texas game in particular from Saturday. 34-24 is the final score. Texas gets a double-digit victory after being a touchdown underdog. In your opinion, Austin, was this more of the Alabama offense and Jalen Milrow, who had two touchdowns, two interceptions, an offensive line that struggled to give him the time they needed? Was it more on the offense not being able to outscore Texas, or was it that Bama defense that we've had people, yourself included, talk about how skilled that DB's room is, and I think they are, but unable to stop Texas in their offense? Which one do you think that was? I think it's both, and I, I also want to you know curl in Sarkeesian again too because I think that that was one of the most outstanding jobs he's done as a coach um, in his entire career I mean he came into Bryant-Denny Stadium without fear he didn't close off any of his playbook he wasn't going to have you know he wasn't going to come in afraid of to to, to do certain things with the offense Um, and it it created serious problems for Alabama and they've got a lot of inexperienced defensive backs it's a good group but it's a group that's not really used to having to play high profile games against a great play caller like Sarkeesian I mean Caleb Downs, the true freshman, was great in week one. Um, he's going to be a great player, and he's going to be an NFL player. But he wasn't ready for the game. He wasn't ready for the schemes that Texas had. You saw, I mean, in my film review, you go back and you watch a couple of the breakdowns uh, on the touchdowns to A.D. Mitchell, and, and Downs has his eyes in the backfield. And um, Texas Texas did a great job of, of scheming up plays where they could hurt Alabama deep downfield um, because that's what you have to do. Going into Tuscaloosa as a team, you know that you're going to have to create some big plays to beat Alabama, and Sarkeesian knew that, and he called them at the exact right time. So I don't think the defense was good. I still don't understand why, when you have guys like Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell on the edges, we saw this a lot last year uh, with Pete Golding, why you're not like blitzing the quarterback more. I mean, they, they were giving Quinn Ewers all day, uh, usually just rushing three defensive tackles after the quarterback. Um, and Texas O-line was like, okay, we can, we can handle that. We're not, we're not really scared of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm especially surprised about that because – Texas offensive line struggled a lot against Rice in week one. And Alabama knew that. They saw it on film. And yet Kevin Steele in the defense and Nick Saban involved with that, obviously, still didn't really want, you know, they were trying, they were willing to sacrifice uh, a pass rush with dropping more guys in coverage, which on, on paper, maybe that seems like a good idea. But 
after a quarter or two or, you know, down the stretch in the fourth quarter, when you're noticing what's happening, you and there's still no change there. So I don't know what the plan was there on defense. And then offensively, you, you mentioned Jalen Milrow. I mean, I've been a guy all off season that said I, I still didn't really know if I trusted him in a, in a game like this. Um, I was obviously, and a lot of Alabama fans were too, were um, they kind of wiped that away because he played so well in week one. And it was like, oh, he's going to be great. He's fine. All this is, is no big deal. He's going to end up being a great quarterback. And then those same flaws that we saw last year came out on Saturday night. He made a couple throws that were just, I mean, un- like Jacob, I think you could stand back there and make a better decision. Is that a compliment to me or is that on Jalen Milrow? What are you trying to say here, Austin? I think, I think it goes both ways. But, I mean, just you're, you're, he's going through his reads, and especially the last one. Um, you're, you're down a score. Yeah. Texas takes the lead back. And you've got the ball inside your own 20-yard line. You cannot make a throw across the field like that that's going to be intercepted. I, I just don't – I could not understand where he was going with that football. He tried to make some big plays down the stretch to keep Alabama in the game. And, hey, I think the wide receivers, um, you know, they've been talked about a lot as a negative part of this team over the last couple of years. I think Jermaine Burton and, and Amari Nyblack and a couple of guys that made big plays down the stretch, that was, you know, an optimistic thing for Alabama. But the offensive line was terrible. I mean, yeah. he was getting sacked, pressure just about every play. And that was a group that, you know, talked about all summer and fall that they wanted to dominate the opponent. They wanted to, you know, create a new running game. And Alabama's going to be able to run the ball. And they got less than four yards of carry. They gave up five sacks. And everything starts up front. And, and Texas dominated the game of the trenches. And, I, and Texas, not just that, Texas also outcoached Alabama, which is not something that you can say very often when you're dealing with Texas. Yeah, I think that, and I've seen it for the last couple of years, and I think you have too, Austin, that offensive line where Bama used to have five NFL-style players up front. It just has st- it started to slowly slip away, and I think they've started going different places. It, I think that has a lot to do with just the name of the game in college football with things starting to maybe balance out a little bit with transfer portal, NIL, all that sort of stuff. But you can see it on the field now for Alabama offensive line and a struggling quarterback in Jalen Milrow where he's got to have some time to make better decisions like the ones that you talked about. Um, Austin, move Moving forward for Alabama before I let you go, they have a weird game. on the. It's it's sort of like a weird game that Auburn took last weekend at Cal. Alabama's yeah. going to South Florida for whatever reason. Um, moving forward for Alabama, uh, what do you expect and what do they have to do this weekend and moving forward? They've got to get the, the, the penalty thing figured out, Jacob. I mean, that that's something that haunted the team last year. Um, they commit 10 more penalties on, on Saturday night against Texas. I don't understand where that's coming from. It, it, it goes back to what I've been talking about this entire segment. These are all uncharacteristic things for Nick, a Nick Saban group. Like, I, I just don't see how this is happening. I don't understand why it's happening, and I don't see how Nick Saban hasn't gotten figured out yet. Like, when they committed 15, 16 penalties in Knoxville last year, you would think that very next Monday that would have been something that he would have never let happen again because of how he emphasized it in practice. And yet that was something that hurt them again in the LSU game and hurt them again in last last weekend um and if they keep doing it they're not going to win an sec or national championship you know i think for the remainder of his tenure that's something that he's been so good at um i, I think they've got to figure out their offensive scheme and how they want to go about it um if, if Jalen milrow's your guy i don't think that you could run the offense that you ran on saturday which is hey let's try to just you know get the running game going and um do play action pass and and, and obviously milrow's deep ball's a little improved but I think they've got to create a whole different scheme on offense if they want Milrow to be the quarterback because they weren't necessarily playing to his strength. Um, he's a guy that's extremely athletic. 
Uh, we've seen him hurt other teams in the running game. Uh, he's been Alabama's leading rusher, I guess. He was week one. He was a yard short of it on Saturday, uh, just a yard short behind Jason McClellan. Wow. But he led the team in carries with 15. A lot of that has to do with, you know, the offensive line not performing and him having to get out of the pocket and try to make a play. Uh, but they've got to figure out how they're going to run this offense because you're not – I mean, I don't think anybody believes that Jalen Miro could be a, a stereotypical drop-back NFL-style pro quarterback. That's just not – that's not his game, and you're not going to succeed doing that. Um, and I, I, I think back to 2014 when Blake Sims was the quarterback, um, and Lane Kiffin was so good about, you know, scheming everything around Blake Sims and how can we help him to succeed? Because this is the guy that was, you know, just, uh, Blake Sims was a backup running back on the team before he became the quarterback. And he, and Lane Kiffin figured out a way to say, hey, he's got the most experience though, just like Milro does. So let's, let's, he's our quarterback, but let's figure out how we're going to, um, you know, play to his strengths and, and see if he can start turning this thing around. Because it, 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 what I saw on Saturday, Milrose still being put in situations where he's having to make a decision on a throw. And oftentimes, unfortunately for Alabama, he makes the wrong decision on big-time throws like that. So um, if he's going to be the quarterback, they've got to fix the, the offense for him. If he's not the quarterback, this is this is your week to figure it out, right? Because after USF, after you play a one-win USF team, you've got the SEC the rest of the way. And you don't want to go into Ole Miss, Mississippi State the next two weeks without you know your quarterback situation solidified. So... Um, I do expect maybe uh, we've been hinted at they're going to see a little bit of Tyler Buckner and Ty Simpson on Saturday. Oh. Obviously, I think you're going to get to see them anyways because I don't see this being a close game regardless of how Alabama performed last week. USF's not. They're not Texas. They're not Ole Miss. They're not Auburn. They're not anybody that Alabama is used to competing with. So um, I expect more of a Middle Tennessee-type game, which that's going to get the fans maybe excited again. But I don't know if we're really going to learn anything um, from this game this weekend until Ole Miss comes to town in two weeks. Yeah, some really, really big question marks for Alabama, both sides of the football, and, and for maybe, maybe one of the first times ever, the fan base is questioning Nick Saban, which I just it just doesn't happen there in Tuscaloosa, but rightfully so. I think they have every right to do that, and there are legitimate concerns and why they should be questioning what this Alabama team is going to be in 2023. He writes for BamaCentral.com, the Sports Illustrated site for Alabama. Austin Hannon joins us every Wednesday here for Rivalry Wednesday. Austin, as always, brother, I appreciate Appreciate you. Always a blast talking to you, man. Plug everything you got going on. Yeah, BamaCentral.com. You hit on it there. Um, I'll be driving on down to Tampa, Florida. Oh, wow. Morning. Um, yeah, so that should be great. Um, I'll have a little company in the car, so that makes it a little better. Uh, that'll be fun. It's, it's a little different, like you said. Um, Tampa, Florida is a place I enjoy going to. I went there for the SEC tournament a couple years ago with Auburn, of course, with the one seed um, in Los Texas A&M on Friday afternoon. Uh, and it's, it's exciting. You know, I'm going to Disney World on Friday, too. So, Oh, wow, you're doing the whole thing. We're putting, we're putting some things together, and it'll be a little different to get to go down to South Florida because, you know, that's not really a, an SEC destination right now. So, uh, BamaCentral.com, you can follow me on Twitter at AustinHannon underscore, and uh, I'll, have, I'll have Disney World thoughts as well as my coverage from Saturday's game at Raymond James Stadium, so you can follow me along there. Well, enjoy your trip. Have safe travels, and that's why we have you on the show is for your Disney World take. So we'll get to talk about that next week, Austin. Awesome. All right. I'll talk to you next week, Jacob. Appreciate it, man. That's Austin Hannon of Bama Central. Go check him out at BamaCentral.com. Got to get to a break. Quick one before we come back and wrap it up here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line on ESPN 106.7. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7. 
Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Winding down here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line, a rivalry Wednesday, another one in the books. It's been a really, really good show today. Uh, talked about in the first hour, uh, got some notes from practice yesterday when I was over there uh, for Auburn football and some of the injury updates from there. Uh, so talked about that. Jack Hudden called in in the first hour, talking a little ball as well. Um, rivalry Wednesday got underway with Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 and got some updates on the Georgia Bulldogs as they get ready to take on South Carolina this weekend there in Athens. Uh, so we got that update from him. That was in the first hour. Then here in hour number two, I gave you my SEC week three power rankings. Um, and so excited for that. There's some interesting notes in there. Uh, they're going to change quite a bit throughout the season. So just go ahead and keep that in mind uh, when you're listening to that. And then just got off the phone with Austin Hannon. Went long with him, but he's always a, a great interview. I love talking to him. It's a really good friend of mine uh, that I've gotten to know over the past year or so. So um, if you missed any of the show today be sure to go and catch it with the podcast espnau.com uh, you can find it there or just search on the line wherever you get your podcast but that's it for today here in the auburn plaza bar and lounge studio tomorrow is thursday it's a busy show you know it is we'll have brad law from the auburn sports network we'll have coach keith etheridge from auburn high school football and chris gordy host of the locked on sec podcast will join us on the show so a busy one tomorrow don't miss it here on espn 106.7 and espnau.com until tomorrow two to four right here on the auburn opelika sports leader espn 106.7 stay safe i'll talk to you later